Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film from 1998 film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight yes Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident self-assured style Lex Luthor in Superman what is it about Gene Hackman that uh... his performance it's off the charts but still in reality fiendishly gifted 1981 Sam Raimi Opus The Evil Dead oh yes fine choice Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have charade oh directed by Stanley Donnan it's a textbook screenplay it's just effortless and there's not a wrong note in this movie can't say enough great things about it we'll be back next Friday with an all new episode of the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. If you think you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. Ed Gross and me, Mark A. Altman, have a new oral history coming out from St. Martin's Press. It's Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of the Star Wars saga. So, Wherever you buy books, audio, and video, pick it up today, and you can learn the secrets of the Force. And don't miss our oral history of Star Trek in stores now. And of course, nobody does it better. The complete oral history of James Bond in digital, hardcover, paperback, and audio. That is all. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. Hello. How you doing today, Steve? I'm doing all right. <laughs> I changed it up there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> up. Anyway, we are very excited because we are continuing our now annual tradition of talking about an unmade Halloween script. Now that we're in the spooky time of the year. And we're also very excited because we think uh, we're going to be talking about an, the original version of Halloween 4. Um, that before they uh, stumbled on what got made. Uh, but before we get to that, we're very excited. We have some guests that we think are kind of ideal to talk about this. Since unfortunately, the screenwriter of this script, Mr. Dennis, Dennis Etcherson, is no longer with us. So that was not an option. Uh, but we have the screenwriter of the movie Freaky. Michael Kennedy. How you doing, Michael? Hey, guys. 
Thanks for having me. Uh, and we have author Grady Hendricks, who's written one of my faves, uh, My Best Friend's Exorcism, also the excellent nonfiction Paperbacks from Hell, which features, you mentioned Dennis Etcherson a few times in there, so maybe you can actually even give us a little breakdown on who he was. Oh, there it is. Michael's holding it up. Um, but I think even more appropriate, the reason that I wanted to have you, you on this is, so I'm in a short version Uh a book club, a horror book club called Losers Book Club, Waka Waka, um, that is run by my friend Chelsea Stardust, who directed a movie called Satanic Panic, which was written by Mr. Grady Hendrix. But that means that every time we read one of Grady's books, Chelsea uh, somehow dupes you, Grady, into joining our book club Zoom. And in your uh, most recent one, Final Girl Support Group, you actually, unrelated to me, and this podcast, you happen to mention Halloween four, because uh, for those who don't yeah. know the book, um, I mean, do you want to just give a little quick explanation of what Final Girl Support Group is and its connection yeah, sure. to Halloween? Sure. I mean, Final Girl Support Group, it's it's a book basically about what happens if final girls were real. And if the franchises were based on real crimes that had happened to women, and now they're all in their 30s and 40s and 50s, and they're in a support group and wondering why they're still obsessed with something that happened to them in high school, and then they start to die one by one. But there's, you know, I, I tried to go for the killers who are sort of seeped into mainstream pop culture, you know, the, the summer camp slasher, or prom night killer, the guy who kills people in dreams, and one, of course, is the Halloween killer, you know, Michael Myers is, I think... You don't have to have seen any of the Halloween movies to know who he is and have an opinion about him. Yeah. And uh, Michael, just to kind of get a little quick context on your level of fandom, since you are now writing um, popular slasher movies, I'm very excited about uh, the next one you have coming up, uh, which is kind of a, so freaky obviously was like a, you know, freaky Friday riff. Yeah. What's the title of the next one? Cause that's kind of a back to the future riff, right? Uh, it's called time cut. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> my working Love title it. was slash to the future. And oh. the, producer, the producer laughed it off the page. <laughs> what? And, and, um, now it's called time cut. And yeah, it's back to the future meets scream. Is the pitch on that. Yeah. Oh, nice. Fun. Yeah. But, yeah. So what's your, your uh, connection to Mr. Michael Myers? I mean, no connection other than he scared the living shit out of me when I was eight years old, only watching him for about seven minutes. My brother kind of sat me down in front of the TV and put on, you know, it was probably during October and I think it was like a TV edit and it scared the crap out of me. And I didn't watch another scary movie until I was in high school. <laughs> wow. So he was and now here you are writing. Though. Yeah, now here I am. <laughs> I, didn't, I honestly can remember seven minutes of that scared me to death was so scared that I'd even get scared of like just seeing Freddie in a commercial. And then uh, the next horror movie, I actually, the first horror movie I actually saw in full was scream in theaters in January of 1997. So, <laughs> wow. Changed my uh, life though. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess let's just get right into this. I, I'm curious. So obviously Michael, you didn't Grady. Did you see the Halloween four that got made when it came oh, out? Yeah. Oh, so you were, uh, not when it came out. I saw it years later. Uh, gosh, I, it, yeah, I saw it much, much later, but I really like it. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting movie. I always say Michael Myers, the Halloween franchise is to me very weird compared to just Jason and Freddy. Because I always say Jason, whether you like it or not, you have to accept that that franchise 
once they established Jason as a hockey mask wearing guy, very consistent. It was kind of just a rinse and repeat sort of franchise. And Halloween, I always felt like they were just constantly trying <laughs> to figure out what it should be. And it always felt like they don't kind of get like two movies in and then they'd sort of have to either literally reboot it or like, <laughs> you know, after Halloween five, didn't make money that took forever to make Halloween six. And it's sort of meant to be continuing the storyline, but they recast everyone. So it felt different and really Donald Pleasance was kind of the only constant in the whole franchise. Um, But so I, I think this script is interesting and I guess, Steve, why don't you give us a little bit of the background history before we even get into the script itself? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go through it really quick. Um, I don't need to go through how much, you know, Halloween came out in October 25th, 1978 off a budget of 325,000. It made 47 million and pretty much was this massive independent horror film that kind of redefined like slasher movies. Before then there was like, you know, Black Christmas, Drive-In Massacre, Silent Night, Bloody Night, Texas Chainsaw. But this was the movie that reinvented the horror, like the slasher genre. And, you know, they made a sequel in 1981, October 30th, 1981, it was released to $2.5 million budget and it grows 25 million did very well, but Carpenter was very reluctant to do that sequel. I mean, he, he didn't direct it, but he was still involved with the, with the making of that movie. And that's pretty much why they kind of not kind of, that's pretty much why they killed Michael Myers in that movie. And because I think he was guessing there was going to be a part three (laughs) and and for part three, he kind of got his wish. You know, they wanted to do like a Tales from the Crypt scenario, which every Halloween they'll release like a new Halloween movie, but it will be like a different story, a different scenario in the Halloween world. And that was released October 22nd, 1982. Again, $2.5 million, but it only grossed 14 million. And that and. August of 1982, Friday the 13th Part 3D came out, and that grossed 36 million. And the other problem with Halloween 3 was audiences hated it at the time. Like, I mean, now it's love, but back then everyone hated it because there was no Michael Myers. Friday the 13th Part 3 was a lot of fun being in 3D, and this was just dark. And I think uh, they didn't market it well. They they didn't market it well at all because. I think a lot of us didn't realize what they were doing, what the plan was. We didn't know like every year we're going to get a different Halloween variant movie. We, we, everyone was waiting for a Michael Myers movie. Like I remember seeing the commercial when I was a kid of a, of the witch mask and then the eyes appear behind it. That commercial scared the shit out of me. And I thought that was Michael Myers new mask. I didn't realize (laughs) that was a whole different, I had no idea what the movie was. When I heard there was robots in it, I was like, wait, what? But, More innocent time before uh, social media and now any info that the studios want yeah. you to know about a movie. It's usually it's much easier to get that info to you because I've heard older people talking about literally going to see the movie and being like, when's Michael Myers going to show yeah. up to me? Which <laughs> seems crazy right. now looking back that you could have been that like clueless to what the movie's premise was. But it's, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's very bizarre. Great movie. Very bad Halloween franchise movie, as it turned <laughs> out. Yeah. I'm continue, Steve. Yeah, they were bummed about it. Even 1983 Starburst magazine, Tommy Lee Wallace was like still like bummed about it. And he mentioned that's the first time like I, I could find a mention that they want to do a part four. But 
Hill and Carpenter and himself are just not interested in it. And so from 1982 until 1986, the the producers, Jablins and Accard, kept trying to get Carpenter and Hill involved. But because they were all partners in it, in this uh, franchise, they all had to be in agreement to make a sequel. And during this time, Friday the 13th is doing very well. A Nightmare on Elm Street has come out and that's doing very well. And so 1986 is when uh, they kind of they start beginning with this. I don't have any exact dates, but in, it seems like by 1986, Friday 13th Part 6 is out, and that's going to gross $20 million. And in February, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is about to come out and make $45 million. So they're probably like, we need to make another. The producers are like, we got to make another Halloween. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and so... I guess in December 1986. I think it's also relevant that Carpenter had the thing, which was like crazy. Obviously, we everyone knows the story of great classic now, but it didn't do well mm-hmm. then. But that was, you know, semi like career ruining for him. That's why he didn't yeah. get to do his fire starter movie. He made Christine, which I'm glad to see that Carpenter's like come around on it. He rewatched it, you know, when they did the new restoration in Blu-ray and now likes it. But uh, you know, I think also well known that he didn't really want to make that movie. That was kind of just a money job. So I'm sure now he was starting to warm up to the, well, maybe I want some more Michael Myers money. And then, uh, no, totally. Yeah. And then um, I'm, I'm not, I should have looked into how the fog did and all this other stuff. I'm not the sure. Fog how didn't the... do well. Right. Do you guys, I feel like fog that wasn't. Okay, I think okay. I don't think that was like a big hit. But I also remember reading that right around 85, 86, he was going to get a big deal with Canon. Yes. Halloween four was part of that, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, no, that, exactly. That's when I first heard about it as a Fangoria kid was in Fangoria 59. Will Michael Myers return was was like the headline in the monster invasion. Oh, cool. And then that's when exactly what you are saying. Uh, Canon wants me to, to work with a screenwriter in fashion an original film, basically the story of Michael Myers. And this was like right after Canon did uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 with Tobe Hooper. And did I say his name right? Toby (laughs) Hooper, sorry. (laughs) And so, but he was, and then he was still kind of upset about part three that the mass audience didn't, you know, like it. They just want to see another slasher movie and, so, you know, he, he, he would say that, you know, he didn't want to panda to the slasher audience. And he said, if I do make a sequel, I'd love to get Dennis Etcherson, who is really talented. I'm considering him to work on it because I feel it'd be safe in his hands. And when that article came out is when the second draft of the script from Dennis Etcherson was handed in. And I guess we can hand this off to Grady if he wants to discuss Dennis Etcherson. Yeah, I guess if you have anything to say, I know you 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 don't feature him heavily in paperbacks from hell, but you do mention him a few times. Yeah, no, Dennis Dennis Etcherson was a big deal. He was a a really talented short story writer um, and a pretty well-respected editor. And he was clue. He was really tapped into that LA screenwriter scene. He had studied under Charles Beaumont, who wrote a ton of Twilight Zone episodes, and did work with Stephen King early on. I think he um, helped King out with Dance Macabre, and he also did the novelizations for The Fog and Halloween Two and Halloween Three. Um, he hadn't at this point, I think, had a project go. 
you know, like a screenplay project, mm-hmm. but, but no, he was a, he was really tied into this community. He like these guys all liked him. He knew the movies, he knew the material. Um, he, and, and he was a super well-respected writer. Um, Kirby McCauley, who was Stephen King's agent, did this really influential um, short story collection called Dark Forces um, in, gosh, early 80s, I think, like 80, 81, I want to say. I could be wrong, though. Um, and The Mist was in that King's story, The Mist, and also Dennis Etchison's story, I believe, which was The Late Shift, which is the story he's best known for, which is... Um, about uh, how convenience stores get people to work those late shifts is they're all zombies. They reanimate <laughs> dead bodies and um, they work in gas stations and convenience stores. And um, and he really was considered sort of the Southern, he was considered somewhere between J.G. Ballard and, um, you know, and Brett Easton Ellis in terms of horror. His stuff was very Southern California. It was very freeway on ramps malls, convenience stores, very, very part of that trend to sort of criticize consumer culture by depicting it. Oh, interesting. And I believe also like he did write a screenplay for The Mist that wasn't, uh, which was unproduced. He actually, I think he wrote, a, a, a he did an audio adaptation of it uh, that did get produced. Uh, he might have also done a screenplay. I think that might be true, but I'm pretty sure he also, he did mm-hmm. a couple of those. Like in later, he d- did audio adaptations of a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes. Um, for some weird reason, audio was a thing for him. Yeah, and by the way, the Halloween 3 novelization is definitely top five, one of my favorites oh, of no all kidding. time. I've never read it. Oh, you, it's, phen- yeah, me either. It's, it's phenomenal. Oh my God, you guys got to read it. It's if you like the movie, you're going to love the novelization. I'm not going to I'll stop there, but definitely check it out. Um, So getting into the script, we have we have two drafts uh, that are similar enough that I feel like we can talk about them largely as the same draft. Um, One, the second draft is from December 2nd, 1986. And the third draft is from January 21st, 1987. Uh, And, you know, I. We'll talk about it, you know, kind of in order, so I don't want to get in any spoilers, but even just kind of teeing up. This is interesting. I can see why they didn't make it, because it is Carpenter kind of accepting that, okay, Michael Myers has to be a presence in this. And he goes about it in, a, you know, creatively an interesting way, but I also understand why when Mustafa Akkad eventually bought them out, and he's just kind of like, no, it's just a Michael Myers movie. We're going to call it Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. No <laughs> one's going to be confused about whether or not Michael Myers is in this movie. And it's just he's not dead and he's going around stabbing people some more. Um, this takes a little bit different tactic. And so it opens on Mr. and Mrs. Wallace uh, for and I guess it'll be easier for listeners if they are familiar with uh, Halloween one and two, but I'll try to give, you know, as much explanation as I can without wasting too much time. But Mr. and Mrs. Wallace, who their kid was the girl that uh, Laurie Strode is babysitting. She's babysitting Lindsay Wallace and Tommy Doyle are the two kids from the original Halloween movie. And this begins back uh, on that Halloween night in 1978 where Mr. and Mrs. Wallace are like leaving a Halloween party. It's even a little bit of like cheesy dialogue for Mrs. Wallace where he's, cause she's like the mom's Mrs. Wallace. Like, we got to get back home. You know, I feel bad leaving her with a babysitter. And he's like, oh, everything's fine. Every town is a sicko, I guess, except Haddonfield. This is 1978. 
safe and sane for 15 years, ever since they put that Myers kid away, <laughs> tempting fate here. Uh, and then obviously, uh, as they're walking home, they start seeing police cars and stumble upon the end of the first Halloween movie. And then there's like this really weird, trippy, as it turns out to be a dream sequence with Mrs. Wallace, where she's like walking through her house and touching things and the room's like melting and her hands are like sticking to object objects that she's touching, which I thought was cool, though, as far as like starting out being like, and I guess we are now post uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, but this is kind of already setting the tone of being like, this is going to be a lot weirder than you might be remembering the franchise being but that turns out to be just be a dream and now we're years later and we meet Lindsay wallace is 17 she's in high school kind of one of our main characters i'd say one of the things that's interesting about this script but one could argue is maybe one of its weaknesses is that it doesn't really have like protagonists in, in the, the sense that like the first two movies do with Dr. Loomis and Laurie, as far as these like two strong anchors that we kind of cut back and forth to. This is sort of about like the whole town because uh, we've got like the parent characters of Mrs. Wallace in particular. We, we have our like police department characters. We have a whole like a zillion teens that we're cutting around. Uh, and that that's very much the premise I'd say of this is it's about the town's fear of Michael Myers. This is very footloose Haddonfield now. Uh, they haven't had a single Halloween since 1978. Uh, it's illegal basically to sell Halloween decorations and masks. So there, there's a little element of that we get to where they like, because uh, Sheriff Brackett and Deputy Hunt, who's now a detective, um, if you're remembering correctly, Brackett, Hunt takes over for Brackett in part two when Brackett yep. learns that what happened to his daughter. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll follow it from here. And for our uh, listeners, Hunt also was heavily featured in Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton's uh, Halloween Return script, another unmade Halloween movie. Um, but now it's like Brackett's still kind of the Brackett we remember, but Hunt is like really angry in this script and is like, at the beginning, we see him switch out his normal gun for like a, a 44 Magnum with the idea that like he's got to be prepared for all the fucking crazy shit that's going to happen. And we also see things like when we first meet Brackett at the police station, all the mothers in town, including Mrs. Wallace, are there saying things like we don't need another Halloween in Haddonfield. And they're terrified because and this becomes an important plot point. The drive-in in in the neighboring town where Halloween is not illegal is having an all-night horathon, which is, I always like to know that those kind of things always existed. Um, But uh, then I start, our primary teen characters, and it is interesting, and this becomes confusing even for me reading it. I had to keep Googling, like, what what happens in the movies they did made? Because we've now done so many episodes of unmade uh halloween ones but with lindsey wallace and tommy doyle and tommy doyle very, actually kind of has a bit of the same vibe as he has in halloween six where he's played by paul rudd where he's kind of this like brooding weirdo in town um and we see that mrs wallace does not like that lindsey is talking to tommy especially not on halloween and when tommy calls he's you know my daughter doesn't need a friend like you tommy doyle uh and then tommy's kind of whole big thing in this is as he says to her the beginning of the movie, like, you'll find out Mrs. Wallace after it's too late for all of you, bitch. Um, but he is very upset that he, 
the adults are like oppressing Halloween and scaring everyone. Um, and this actually kind of ends up becoming like the key part of how the mythology works in the storyline, but we'll get to that later. Uh, our first real hint of the shape in this that isn't in the nightmare is that uh, much like we kind of saw in the first movie, kids are still daring each other to go knock on the front door of the Myers house, which is sitting abandoned still. There's a for sale strode realty sign, um, but kids throw a rock in the window and then we cut inside and a hand picks up the rock and crushes the rock. Um, and we don't know who that is, but you know, you assume it's the shape and around town. We like people keep thinking they see the shape It's kind of like a running motif of like, we'll look over and be like, is that the shape? And then it's kind of like gone and you don't really know what's going on, but it definitely isn't like in the original movie where, you know, he really like lingers in the background to creep people out. Another character they plucked from Halloween 2, who's kind of a throwaway character, but now is important in this, is Robert Mundy, who's a reporter. Oh, my God. Yeah, who we just <laughs> see in the se second is like giving the news report. Uh, and kind of an interesting character, because normally I feel like we're used to like, you know, Gail Weathers from Scream of the like cutthroat reporter who will do anything to get the story. But Monday actually doesn't want to report on Myers and Halloween. He feels like who cares anymore? And it's his like news editor at the station uh, is like, no, people want to know more about this. Go get me a whole story. We're getting like, little tidbits here because it's like. They tried, they're trying to find Laurie Strode, not a spoiler alert, but they never find her. They just kind of keep mentioning, nobody knows where she went and Mr. Strode won't talk about it. Um, <laughs> and as far as this Tommy storyline, there's this weird scene where he summons Lindsay to the biology lab at the high school. The school is also setting up for like a homecoming dance. And it's like a big thing of, Wait, I do think it's weird that they're, yeah, go on. They ban Halloween. Yes. But are having a homecoming dance on Halloween. On Halloween. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> uh, I feel like maybe don't have any dance if you're like that concerned. So like, we don't want any Halloween decorations at our homecoming dance on <laughs> Halloween. Um, but so Lindsay's like part of, of course, she's part of the like group that's setting up. And our other like teen characters, basically three boys and three girls. And the three guys are all like high school age, but none of them go to high school. They've all like dropped out or maybe graduated already. I thought that was like an odd choice, but whatever, mix things <laughs> up. But the three teen girls are also setting up for this and they're like mean girls who tease Lori. And one of our jump scares is they find like a stuffed the shape uh, that they just did that to spook her out. But Tommy brings her to the biology lab and he shows her, which I find crazy that this is apparently happening at this high school biology lab. There's all these, there's like a zillion rats and like a zillion cages. And he says, these rats are part of an experiment called a stress rig where they like electrocute the rats at like intervals to freak them out. And he said, it's designed to control you by fear to make you sick, then numb. So you don't feel anything. It could work on a whole town and it keeps you in your place and makes you give up. And that's like his metaphor of what the parents are doing to them by suppressing Halloween. Uh, very weird. But then Sheriff Brackett and Hunt, they keep finding like stores broken into and they don't know who's doing it. 
and there's graffiti in one of the stores they find. The store had been illegally selling Halloween masks, so they theorize that people break in to steal the masks. And there's graffiti that says, Halloween is back. He lives. <laughs> um, and then meanwhile, we get even more characters when Jesus. reporter Mundy and the cameraman <laughs> goes to a sanitarium and there's several inmates who have a whole thing i don't i'm not even going to go into that but they're trying to like catch rabbits popping out of holes but we meet dr marion stern and then of course we get a vcr tape she puts in to show uh monday that has footage of loomis so this would have been a little bit of donald pleasance in here and it's him interviewing Mikey as he calls him, but you know, young Michael Myers, all the stuff we're kind of used to where he's basically seems actually like I get that in the franchise, they've established that Michael Myers is pure evil. Nonetheless, like out of context footage of him, like screaming at this child in a sanitarium about how he's like, you're pure evil, Mikey. I know what you are. One could also argue that uh, Sam Loomis created Michael Myers mm -hmm. by further traumatizing him by, telling him that he doesn't have a soul. Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess I can stop here. Any thoughts uh, on, on what's going on so far? I mean, Grady, you've read it recently. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, can you all hear me okay? I had to switch yeah. to my... Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the interesting things with the rewrite, which is only a month or so later, I mean, they really tighten it up, but Loomis is out. And I wonder if that's because they realize that they might not be able to get him. Yeah. yeah, Loomis is all cut out. Uh, and the dream is a lot better in the, um, the second one. It's the same dream, but it's a lot more point of view shots like that. I feel like they got this order to like people like Halloween because there's point of view shots. Let's have more of those. Um, and in the dream sequence, rather than ending with Michael's shadow falling over the river of blood running out into Haddonfield, it's like the river of blood runs out into Haddonfield and Michael like runs into it. He's got his knife and it's like, <laughs> he can't wait to get to town. He like knocks the camera over um, as he's running. He's so excited. Um, but also I feel really weird that you didn't mention the sad fate of Peppy the dog. Um, who's <laughs> who's on. found hung in the store with Halloween or He Lives. Also, who wrote the He Lives? But the, the cops are like, well, maybe not necessarily someone hung this dog. Maybe the dog's hanging from a noose because some people broke in to steal liquor and the dog was running after them to catch them and it jumped and <laughs> slipped and fell into the news <laughs> and that's why it's hung from a news seems plausible <laughs> yeah i really like that the police are just open to all the different theories um and the other thing i think is really interesting is clearly they're going for this supernatural thing with those inmates because they have and it's weird they only mention it like once until you get to the climax of the movie that michael at this point is a supernatural druid um because I think druids get mentioned in the original novelization. I, you know, I was actually trying mm -hmm. to remember. I didn't have time to rewatch part two. Druids Is are there, mentioned. Part they two. are mentioned. Okay. I literally just watched it yesterday. Oh, they are. Okay. Because yeah. they mentioned druids in this. And then the, peop, the patients in the sanitarium have this like uh, idol they've constructed out of Michael that they're sacrificing the rabbits to. We don't really That's care. Anything it's else labeled about it. the Lord of the Dead, they've labeled that yeah. effigy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah. in part two, Loomis explains, like, you know, that's because Michael writes Sam Hain on the chalkboard 
or Sawin, however you pronounce it, on the chalkboard in part two. And so he explains to Nurse Marion, who comes to pick Donald Loomis, uh, Dr. Loomis up, because the governor's like, you need to leave Haddonfield. And he explains to her what that holiday really means. And it's about these towns back in the day would like sacrifice a family to the Druid gods to like make sure the village was taken care of. And they, so that's like what he, he essentially gives the lore of Druids there that Michael needs to kill his whole family to like protect uh, the village essentially. Yeah. Uh, like the Druids would burn people alive, animals and humans t- to predict the future. So he talked about, he talks about Druids. Like he has like a whole monologue about Druids in part. Yeah. yeah. And, this- and they really just get lip service in this one. Like they mention Druids. We get the, the patients in the sanitarium. And the next time we get any indication that there's magic at work, is the drive-in, which I will not spoil <laughs> yeah. until we get there. Um, well, it's also, I think, I don't know, maybe because he wrote the Fog novelizations. Um, it feels like the Fog, how it's just different characters scattered around, like the Fog was with Antonio Bay's different characters going in and out. It, I kind of got that feel from it because there is like no lone teenagers we're following throughout the whole thing. It's It keeps going back and forth between all these other characters. It, it will, like, I'm, the vibe I'm getting is a lot of the later Halloween movies pulled from this script, it seems like. It does like, feel like uh, right? part six. Yeah. Kind of what, and mm-hmm. yeah. And 2018 feels a little bit involved there. I mean, you know, Dr. Loomis and Mikey, that's right out of Rob Zombie's remake. I, I, that's exactly, when I was reading that scene, that's who I had in my head was yeah. Malcolm McDowell. That felt way more like him than it did Donald well, my other question, since you just watched two, another thing they keep referring to in this script that was very confusing because I know it's a thing that happens to Michael Myers in Rob Zombie's movies. I mean, Rob Zombie's part two is that Michael only has three fingers on one hand. Does he lose fingers in part two? Not in, not in part two. He loses fingers in Halloween 2018. Huh. Uh, <laughs> Jamie Lee <laughs> Curtis blows off like two of his fingers. Well, that is like trying okay. to get her house. That was really confusing me in this. Uh, and I guess we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. Since we but there's yeah, there's Dennis. like the banning of Halloween is in Halloween six. There's like, yeah, there was a couple instances you were talking about. I'm like, huh, a lot of this sounds really familiar. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, and this is interesting because there's a lot of the shape again, because people keep kind of like maybe seeing her or not. Um, but there's definitely, it takes a long time for there to be any kind of killing. Um, I was going to ask you, have we, like, how far are we in now? And has there been a kill? We are like page 60 something is kill. when the first kill, not, I mean, I guess they tried to give you those vibes with like the nightmare sequence at the beginning, but no one has officially died. I don't believe. And the first one to die no. is one of our three teens named Darcy and what would have been a very fun sequence where she goes out of town, like at the edge of town where the city limits end and thus the sheriffs have no jurisdiction. There's like a guy selling a bunch of pumpkins and he just has this like giant mound of pumpkins and she's just mounds of pumpkins, all sizes and shapes, all very ripe and deep orange under the setting sun. Um, and she, it's funny too, cause it's like, they kind of make a big deal out of the fact that this girl has never celebrated Halloween so she's sort of just like, I don't even, how do I pick a pumpkin? And the gross guy who's there is like taking the chance to like flirt with her. And he's like, 
I'm going to go buy some booze so we can come back and party. And she's like, um, okay. And is trying to gather up the pumpkins so she can leave before he gets back. And then the like pumpkins start falling on her. And at first I was like, is she going to just get buried by pumpkins and die? Cause <laughs> that would be absurd, but also kind of amazing in a way. But after kind of getting buried by pumpkin, then uh, a shape does show up. But I, I believe the way it's described is I don't think we like full on see like a Michael Myers mask. It's more just like, she eventually gets attacked by someone with a knife. So there, I guess you could also say, even though I feel like when you start to kind of figure out what the script is doing, especially based on all the stuff Tommy Doyle's saying, but I think it's also a little bit of a, a who is it? Is it Tommy Doyle's going around killing people? Is it somebody else we don't know? Yeah, who's breaking in and murdering this dog and stealing Halloween masks? And writing on the wall. Writing on the wall. Yeah. Uh, we have like a big jaws like scene like by jaws i don't mean the shark but like you know the city council where all the townspeople are yelling at brody for closing the beach and that kind of thing but uh they like basically want them to go shut down the drive-in and the drive-in owners there and it's crazy because but this does feel like something that would happen in the real world because uh real people are insane because this drive-in's <laughs> not even in haddonfield and they're like we need to go stop this drive-in from having a horror-thon and the drive-in owner is feels very quaint to see in the eighties, especially knowing what happened to drive-ins. Ultimately he was right. Basically like, Oh, VCRs and TV, they're killing the drive-in. <laughs> it's kind of this like plea for uh, uh, why drive-ins are cool. Uh, which I think in COVID we all got to learn uh, is true. Drive-ins are pretty cool. Um, then there's like a the school dancer. So now we're kind of moving into like, what the final end of this movie is going to be. As you can tell that there's a school dance, but that's actually not going to be relevant. That was just going to be a very expensive thing. They were going to have to stage and get extras for. Uh, and then the Moo characters all familiar too. Yeah. <laughs> they did that um, in 2018. They had a dance in the new one and they didn't kill anybody. Yet. <laughs> but uh, Lindsay's there and she, her and Tommy have like a bit of farce where they're both talking on the phone and both of them have like loud things happening on their end. So they have sort of like a threes company little bit where they're telling each other where they want to meet and neither of them know. So they both go to the wrong places. She thinks Tommy's going to meet her at the dance. He thinks, I think she's going to meet at the drive-in shenanigans, but ultimately it doesn't matter because Lindsay meets another girl named Leah and they both go to the drive-in. Our three boys and three girls, well not three because Darcy died, so our three boys and two girls meet there. Our kind of classic slasher movie interpersonal stuff where Lonnie, who was supposed to be going to the drive-in with Darcy, is all bummed because she stood him up, but we know that she got is this, murdered. Is this Lonnie from the original? Yes. Oh, so yeah. you, okay. I didn't pick up on that. And I don't think this is skipping ahead. He falls asleep at the drive-in and has a dream flashback. And we revealed that Lonnie was the kid in the original Halloween movie when the three kids go to knock on the Myers house door yep. and Dr. Loomis is hiding in the bush. And they're like, come on, Lonnie. So Dr. Loomis hears Lonnie's name. and He's like, hey, Lonnie, get your ass out of here. Or whatever he says to them in his like <laughs> weird voice. So we revealed that is Lonnie now grown up. Uh, and now I think we get to really like, this is where the script shines. In my opinion, I feel like you probably feel the same way, uh, Grady. Cause I know this was the reason you even mentioned Halloween four on our book club zoom, 
But just this whole drive-in set piece is why it's a bummer that this couldn't have gotten made in some fashion because it's pretty cool. For one thing, though, it's funny. They keep highlighting in the script. It's three screen, It's a three-screen drive-in. So there's three different movies playing at any time. And I guess the idea is that you can go around in your car. You have access to the whole place. So you could watch whatever movie you want. The first movies they're showing are Reanimator, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Christine. And then we establish later they're showing Psycho, Psycho 2, and Psycho 3. Um, And then they're showing The Fog and Friday the 13th. And they very heavily feature The Fog. Like The Fog with Adrian Barbeau's opening, like, you know, narration is playing in the background of a spooky scene. And there's kind of several little mini sequences of different characters walking around. And it keeps getting, like, they highlight that it's getting more atmospheric. Like, it's getting very foggy. And at this point where Lonnie has his nightmare and, like, wakes up, it's kind of like you don't really know what happened to all the other teens. Like he's just kind of walking around. The cars are all still there, but they highlight that it feels very empty. Like people go up to the concession stands and there's nobody there. And then he'll open car doors and like dead bodies will fall out. And it's sort of just like, did everyone get murdered while he was taking this like mini nap? Uh, (laughs) And it seems that is the case. Uh, Leah, the girl Lindsay went here with, uh, she also gets killed. And then really it culminates to when like Lindsay's walking around. Uh, I was going to read a little bit here. Maybe while I'm looking for this, Grady, if you have any thoughts about where we've yeah. gotten so far, which I'm sure you well, do. I was going to say, you know, um, you feel like there were three things Carpenter wanted to direct in this, which is the opening dream sequence Darcy's death by Pumpkin Mm -hmm. uh, and this whole drive-in sequence. Like, you feel like that's what Carpenter was here for. Um, You're also leaving out a detail that I found jaw-dropping in this because they depict Tommy as this bad boy, you know, who no one believes, like you were saying. And he and some friends break into a liquor store and steal some, or no, after a liquor store. I totally missed, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and like, and and I mean, because it has nothing to do with the, the plot, really. But like, they steal some booze, like not a ton of it. Like, it's a bunch of beer and some stuff. And um, the cops come and find Tommy with his friends who stole it. And they bring him back to the station house to question them. And they're like beating up his friend. Like, it's this like <laughs> yeah. weird priest. Like, like, who else helped you steal the liquor? Blah, blah. And um, they're like twisting his arm. And then Tommy grabs the cop's gun and is like, let him go or I'll put bullets in your head. <laughs> and like, it's like, dude, this is literally a shoplifting vibe. This is like a misdemeanor. And Tommy like <laughs> busts out of the police station, like with the gunpoint and then like runs all over town with the cop's guns. And the cops are driving after him going, he's a good kid. I'm sure it's not a big <laughs> yeah. deal. He won't, it's like, <laughs> It's like any black person watching this movie would be like, wait a minute. (laughs) Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And also there's a whole convenience store. That's another kill we get. It's just two, my favorite kind of horror movie characters who get like their own little mini short film. Like we've never met these characters before. And there's like a clerk who keeps wanting to not service people. And like the, the the customers, they are are very like a weird assortment, uh, of people there's like a hobo there drinking what is it he's drinking he's drinking like rubbing alcohol or yeah, something yeah or at least that's what he calls it um yeah it's, it's, so and the it's clerk a mean kill and the clerk pulls a knife on the customers to get them yeah. to go away because he wants to hook up with this high school girl 
in the back room uh, and they're watching Assault on Precinct 13. There's a lot of reference to John Carpenter movies in the script. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. It's easy, it's um, easy awesome. to get uh, cheap. It's You can get it cheap. Cheap clearances. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> show the fog. You can't show Friday the 13th. It's also a really neat. I've forgotten about that. I'm glad you mentioned the convenience store kill because it's really mean. Like he's having sex with her while he's dead. Like his corpse is having sex with her. It's really disturbing. Because yeah, the like the shape or whoever's doing it is like essentially like, moving the body with the knife blade. Is that kind of what's happening? Yeah, or? in the back yeah. of his neck or something. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, so we've got all these different characters. So it's including Dr. Stein and Mundy, the reporter and the cameraman, uh, the two sheriffs, all our teen characters, Tommy, Lindsay, they all wind up at the drive-in. Uh, and like I said, describe this whole thing where it's kind of, we then kind of are just focusing on Lindsay. Well, for, it's like they're kind of going back and forth between Lonnie and Lindsay because they're like at two different parts. And then the shape finally fully appears, basically coming out of the like projector room I, I wrote this down so now a shadow falls across jason meaning jason Voorhees, up on the screen as something passes in front of the projector a shape the shape superimposed over jason cocks its head out of curiosity then the film bursts through and the screen goes white lonnie whips around and looks back at the booth the shape is standing in the window a handful of film in its three-fingered fist again the three fingers it has ripped the film out of the projector as Lonnie watches the two missing fingers grow back again, I don't know what the significance was of these missing fingers, but so now the shape is finally fully here or really seeing him. He's really walking around. I mean, I guess the fingers symbolize that he wasn't fully formed. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe. I don't know. Well, Tuffy the dog, I thought bit off two of his fingers earlier. Oh, yeah. yes, the dog. Maybe, uh, and, then, and then the kid put him in the garbage disposal. Am I right? Oh, yeah. oh my God. How did I forget I that? That's so forgot weird. that. Yeah. Because the dog comes home yeah. and this kid's like, what's in your mouth, boy? Yeah. Uh, like, right. Uh, the, uh, sorry. I can't believe I forgot. About it. So the dog <laughs> goes in the Myers house with this like kid whose friends were trying to uh, get him to knock on the door. And you're right. The, oh, I'm an idiot. And the, the dog, dog comes right. flying out over the, it like jumps over their heads. Right. I remember but that. Then when they get home, the dog's like coughing and the kid's like, what's in your mouth, boy? And he pulls out two fingers and his reaction is to just throw them away because he doesn't want his mom to get mad. <laughs> like, so wow, that would not have been my reaction if my dog had spit out two human fingers. Right. How many um, people are in this movie? <laughs> it is a, a lot. Yeah, huge it's... cast. But that's what they're all converging here. Lonnie gets killed by the shape. Um, and then this is, I also have to read, I feel like better to read than describe. So the cops all show up and, uh, suddenly there are multiple shapes. Uh, I think they, they sound out that there's like 12 or 13 of them. 13. I remember that. I was 13. like, Ooh, spooky. So it's 13 shapes. <laughs> um, I don't want to. Yeah, oh, sorry, I'll read that next. So there's 13 shapes and the cops are the whole thing of like, shoot, which one? Um, all of Doctor, them. Doc, exactly, all of them is the answer. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Stern is there and she's like pleading to Michael and all the shapes, 13 shapes turn their head. And I'm like, that's a, that would have been a great shot. All the Michaels creepily snapping their heads over. Uh, she has a very predictable death where she's trying to reason with Michael right, Myers and plead with him. And then he, he kills her. Um, but now this is where the, the script goes from. I asked a scene. quick question before oh, yeah, you yeah. 
Is he in his trademark mask at this point? Yes. Yes. All 13 of them have it on. Yep. And okay. So it is Michael Myers. It is full on yeah. Michael Myers. Okay. Uh, and so I, think I know what's about to happen if I remember correctly. Okay. So Tommy shows up uh, with the cop's gun with deputy hunts, uh, 44 Magnum that we saw deputy hunt pull out of the closet to deal with the insanity. It turns out he was right. The, the, Today got very sane. Hunt was not wrong <laughs> to up his arsenal. So it's Tommy standing atop a truck, the 44 in his hand. The shape looks up, sees him. It is distracted long enough for Lindsay to drop. Like So Michael has been holding Lindsay up off the ground at this moment where Tommy comes to save her. So Michael drops uh, Lindsay. Then the shape starts for Tommy. Tommy pulls the trigger. The first shot hits the groin. The shape staggers. The second shot hits the head, blasts away part of the skull. The shape reels. Bracket yells, now! All the Warren County cops open fire with shotguns. The shape is nailed in the crossfire, twitching like a puppet between the cars. Then the shape starts to grow as Mm. if feeding off the bullets and becoming stronger with each shot. The shape swells to eight. 10, 12 feet tall, raises its fists against the screen as one of the shots hits metal and a car explodes. Then the next car, then the next row after row of cars go up like a zigzag pattern of firebombs, the drive-in inferno. Uh, And they don't quite specify, but the way that I'm envisioning Michael's like kaiju sized by the end of this. And he's like Mm -hmm. pounding on the screen. Um, and this was the context that you had mentioned offhandedly on our book club Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't remember why you brought that up when we were talking about Final Girl Support Group, but uh, this it's is definitely, just, if you had to discuss my complicated feelings about the Halloween franchise. Yeah. <laughs> but this is definitely, you know, if you're describing what is this script, you would remind your friend by being, it's the one where Michael Myers becomes gigantic at the end. Uh, I, bet, and- I bet Canon would have been able to pull this version off though, because they had the money to spend. And I guess they this are- would have been the life force of Halloween movies. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely an expensive movie. <laughs> and they're way going for the boogeyman concept this time around. And, st- you know, when they don't want to do the typical slasher, so they are really trying to turn him into a boogeyman, which we didn't, well, I mean- is it is is it the whole implication that the fear makes him return yeah like at first tommy's kind of act like his sort of confusing thing about what's going on with the rats unless i guess that was just part of the idea that oppressing everyone was creating some sort of like psychological power so telling people they can't buy shit like the suppression is actually making it grow yeah sort of it sort of willed michael back into existing i think is the implication it gets gets super psychedelic though because at at the very end it's sort of the coda when Lindsay and tommy are talking i and i made a note of this just a quick version so Oh yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to jump ahead. I didn't mean to jump ahead, sorry. Tommy's basically like, this is just going to keep happening to have, like having Fields fucking dead. Let's literally get out of here. And they just run off on foot. And then it ends with them sleeping in a barn. She has one final Michael Myers nightmare, which wakes up and they're still in the barn. And then actually has a happy ending where they're just like, ah, it's nice out. (laughs) We're not, we're never going back to Hatfield. It is a little anti-climate. I mean, Michael just blows up when the cars blow up. Um, yeah, I, I was very, ex- I was thinking, I'm like, are we going to have like a Stay Puff Marshmallow Man yeah. sequence <laughs> where 
30 foot tall Michael Myers like goes rampaging around Haddonfield. And but. also your your boy Robert Mundy does that final act of heroism where he's like, give me the tape. And he won't let like he takes the tape out yeah. of the camera so no one can report on it. Um, but then there's this weird moment that I don't get. So <laughs> at the very end, as they're escaping from the drive in, Lindsay's like, I want to go home. And Tommy's like, it's not there anymore. If it ever was. And I'm like, <laughs> what that is the implication that like we begin with the dream sequence and end with is like the whole thing a dream? Like I, see, I was confused. See, everyone was going to talk about this. <laughs> There's well, going to be Yeah, tons and that's of... the thing. I, I definitely think this would have been not as, wouldn't have pissed people off as much as Halloween 3 but I understand why Mustafa Akadov mm-hmm. was like, we're, we can't, also I'm sure it was just so expensive as we keep saying, yeah. but I, th- I get why he was kind of just like, nah, this didn't, we didn't course correct quite enough. This well, is still too weird. And mm-hmm. I have a behind the scenes guess. So one of the things you were commenting on about how it's got so many characters in it, all overlapping and crisscrossing. So at the time, Dennis Etchison was really famous as a novelist or like a a writer and considered quite literary and and an editor and all this. And and, And there's a real criticism. I think I read an interview where like, Mustafa Akkad was like, this is too intellectual, which if you've read the screenplay, it's not intellectual <laughs> at all. Like, I don't think that word means what he thinks it means. Um, but that was his thing. It's too intellectual. We're not buying this script. Um, and I wonder if the word novelistic got used a lot, like, oh, this is going to be a novelistic take on it, you know, where it's all, the whole town is the character and we're going to deal with the mythic elements. Like, and that was part of the reason Dennis Etchison was on board. Like, I wonder if that was part of the pitch and Mustafa Akkad's like, give me a dude in a mask, <laughs> yeah. knife, stabbing teenagers, please. <laughs> I think you're yeah, probably right. in slasher movies too. If you don't have a primary focus and just a character the, there's no tension and like, there's no yeah. suspense. Like it doesn't work if you don't have a lead character. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there is a real Friday, the 13th six vibe in this with mm-hmm. Tommy being like a Tommy Jarvis, Tommy and this running around trying to people. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad I'm actually glad you said that Michael, because one of the reasons I thought it'd be fun to have you on here is someone who is currently writing slasher movies yeah i mean um and you gotta like, have that character that you're focused on otherwise the killer the killer's the star and i i don't know i guess because I, I do wonder because there's things i i do like about this uh i just wonder if there was a way to salvage it like what if i had hired you if i handed you this script and we'd be like we need a rewrite <laughs> do <laughs> you think would this have to be a page one rewrite or? Yeah, I think you could take a lot of the, I think the fear element is cool. And I think the oppression element is cool because I was getting a lot of COVID vibes, just hearing a lot about, <laughs> you know, like it All is the town the, rules. Yeah, yeah. Like the people press some, you know, even Tommy at times, it's um, like he said, you, you said something he said, and I was like, Oh, he'd be an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think you need a page one, but, it wouldn't be like a page one where you completely overhaul it. It sounds like all the set pieces are great. I would just focus on Lindsay and Tommy. Like, why not let them take control of the entire narrative? They're the same age as Lori was in the original. They're, you know, it's the classic teen 
element of a slasher movie. And plus you're familiar with the characters already. So you don't have to spend a lot of time setting them up. Um, so my big rewrite would be give Lindsay the movie. And then Tommy is like her number two. And I think, but would you have kept the ending with Michael growing 30 feet tall? I mean, it's cool because who the fuck doesn't want to see a 30 foot tall Michael but obviously no. <laughs> I don't think, because to me, it's like, I think you can do the supernatural aspect of it where it's like the town's fear and obsession with oppression is what ultimately brings him back. But I would bring him back in the exact same way. I don't think he's suddenly like, you said, Josh, a kaiju. <laughs> like, well, you know it's also I mean? funny because this once again feels like it was Carpenter being like, but now this is it. Now there's no more right. Michael again. <laughs> like he just couldn't learn the lesson of like, look, he just needs to come back and never go away. That's I also got want. the vibes though. When you said first person doesn't die on page 60. I mean, that reminds me of the original. When you look at the original play out, you got the opening kill and then you have the truck driver who's dead, but he gets killed off scene. And he doesn't die till like 60 minutes into the movie. It's true. You know, so you play with, you play with a lot of the same rules, but you add that cool. Cause I think the oppression thing is really cool. I think it's a really cool element. It's in fact, you know, it's something nightmare ends up using later on. I think it's in, is it Freddie versus Jason that kind of uses that element of suppressing their dreams with medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so like in a lot of ways, the movie has the script is ahead of its time in various franchises. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Definitely that- borrowed from for sure. And I, one thing I like about this, and I guess you never know how the casting would go, is as much as I like Halloween 4, one of the things that always kind of bums me out about it is it's still in Haddonfield. We still have Dr. Loomis, but Donald Pleasance is the only actor they brought back. And they're just like, oh, Sheriff Brackett. I mean, I guess I don't know what became of that actor if he was still so maybe alive. Maybe he didn't want to do it. That's, I mean, always a possibility. But- so do you remember the scene in the the real Halloween 4 where Rachel and Jamie are driving home from school with Rachel's friend? Her yeah. friend's name is Lindsay. Oh, so I'm assuming yeah. that's supposed to be Lindsay Wallace. I mean, there's also a guy named um, Tommy in the movie, but they never identify him as... I thought there was. Maybe I I'm crazy. I not remember if there is, but she's in that one scene. It's like, okay, why don't you make her her friend in this movie? Is that's like it's just confusing to have a character named Lindsay that's literally yeah. would well, it, it adds to my feeling that the problem with the franchise is that it always feels like we're starting over, even mm-hmm. with Donald Pleasance in there. Like it, yeah. it never quite feels connected. Yeah. Well, what about you, Grady? What would do you have a fix for this, or would you lean even harder into the weirdness? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think Michael's right. I, I mean, A, I wouldn't start it with the dream because I just hate that when a movie starts with the dream sequence. But yeah, I mean, it's Tommy and Lindsay, although I got to say, and I'm sorry, I would keep multiple Michaels and I would keep giant Michael just because <laughs> why not? Multiple Michaels, um, sure. um i just would love to see them have to cope like don't just blow them up with the car have them have to cope with killing a 30 foot tall michael Myers. (laughs) um yeah strode shows up that's what i would do (laughs) she's been hiding she's actually 30 feet tall (laughs) if she shows up and she's like watch this (laughs) (laughs) froze to enormous size that would be amazing um yeah, that that's about where I'd be. Uh, and I'm with Michael, except I'd keep I'd keep Kaiju Myers. <laughs> and Steve, did you have any info of why of anything specific other than the obvious reasons that this uh, didn't get made? Um, I have a 
Uh, I mean, I, I have a few, but I, I think our, if our guest has to go, I should probably no, no, save no, no, it. No, 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 I'll, I'll stick around for wrap this up. Yeah. All right. Okay, cool. Well, well, one thing I just wanted to say is Dennis Etchison did have something to say about the repressed thing. He said, I was not allowed, allowed to read horror comics as a kid, so I had an unusual interest in them. And so, you know, so the more you repress something or try to repress it like sex teen with teenagers, the hotter they get. So for Halloween four, the town is trying to deny all this, but it's actually bringing the shape back into being. So I don't. Ah. So that was what, you know, because he wasn't allowed to go see the thing as a kid. His mom wouldn't let him. So it, it kind of led to an interest in horror movies. And so that's what it, he based the script around. And so, hold on, let me go over here. So what, what ended up happening is uh, Dennis Etchison would say, this was all, he did an interview with Blumhouse.com. Uh, and that's where I got that quote and this quote from. A few weeks later, I stopped by Deborah Hill's office to pick up, by the way, the next draft, the third draft would be in December, 1987. Or no, I'm sorry, January 27th, 1987 is the third draft he handed in in his final draft. He said, a few weeks later, I stopped by Deborah Hill's office to pick up a copy of the final retyping of the script. She had a tall stack of them. And she said, we're sending these out to investors. And sometime later, I got a call saying, I just wanted to tell you, John and I have sold our interest in the Halloween franchise. And unfortunately, your script was not part of the deal. And he did say also in that same interview that uh, they possibly might have wanted Joe Dante to direct Halloween for. Oh, I also, that would have been cool. Yeah, that he there was an idea for him. I, I mean, I can't imagine off of like inner space or something going to do Halloween for, but I don't know. But that's what <laughs> he did say. So I'm not going to argue. And then. It feels like that Carpenter and Etchison kind of were buddies for a little while there because he would go on and say, and also in 1987, that he was talking to do, he was going to do a TV sequel to The Fog and, oh. Dennis, and Dennis Etchison was going to write it. And, oh, that's cool. That would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> well, he said The Fog played well on TV, so it seems like it's a perfect fit. And that's where I'd watch The Fog all the time. It was like on every Sunday on Channel all 9. All the time. <laughs> when I was a kid, right? It, it was like always on. And then later well, then we know what would have happened. The Fog would have grown to enormous size. <laughs> would have been 30. <laughs> or the Pirates. Exactly. Um, and then later on in 1987, excuse me, uh, Dino De Laurentiis was having trouble with financing Escape from L.A. And he kind of, again, admitted that he that this is where he publicly admitted that, you know, he, he sold the sequel rights to Halloween and it's off his back forever. And he's very delighted. He doesn't have to deal with it anymore. And he brought up the Canon thing. He just did not want to work with them. And he canceled the, the TV deal to do the Fog sequel with Dennis Etcherson. And then the following year, he was talking about doing another project with Dennis Etcherson, a, a project about quantum physics. But they, um, And he could go on to say that Dennis is a terrific writer. And he tried to get him in Prince of Darkness as the guy that gets killed by the bicycle. <laughs> but, but he just got fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know he did. And at ah. that time he was writing, Dennis Etchison was writing Boogeyman 3, which, you know, interesting writing this Boogeyman movie to write. I think it was going to be the return of the Boogeyman. And then that movie was never made, you know, so it's. We got paid <laughs> Yeah, and it was yeah. an old Fangoria interview with, with Dennis. I was reading too, and he had another project he was talking in there, another screenplay that didn't get made. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, Dennis, I feel so bad. Um. Anyway, let's keep going. And then um, eventually 
uh, Akkad would get the rights to Halloween and he'd move forward with Halloween four. And, and so what's all right. So there was a book called Taken Shape Two. I recommend uh-huh. to all the listeners, Dustin McNeil, Travis Mullins, and that's where I got this information from. So what ended up happening is Akkad put out an open call for script submissions and so just like anybody that, you know, wasn't repped can just hand that's in synopsises. Yeah, that's how they got Halloween four off the ground. And so one of the first people to write to hand one into them was a guy that was a singer in a new wave band in L.A. called Perfect <laughs> Stranger. And he wrote a draft that, you know, that had Lori in it. And she wrote for People magazine and yeah. she did. She did this whole write up on a rock star and Michael she was like Myers. a rock writer for people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like the MTV script and Michael yeah, Myers is like living in Chicago, I think. Or yeah. Yep, exactly. And then Michael Myers kills the rock star she's writing about. And then he dons leather pants, black driver gloves, black boots, a black leather jacket, steals a Porsche and goes after her. And there's a scene Amazing. where he like run. Yeah. So but those guys said that, you know, the whole niece angle came from their draft and the whole like hitting like the power plant and exploding came from their draft. And then from them, the guys that actually the guys that won like the contest, uh, there are these three writers. They have the story by credit on Halloween. So um, they won the contest around Thanksgiving 1987. And then um, they gave it the script to a guy named Shane Bitterman. And uh, he would go on to write part six, but he did a he did a draft where Jamie wasn't scared of Michael Myers and she kind of welcomed him because she thought he was going to be his uncle. But, you know, she was wrong, but they didn't use that draft. And then they hired. And then when they hired the director, Dwight H. Little, he's the one that brought on the writer that gets the uh, main uh, writing credit Um, for the film. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of how Halloween, I, I skipped a lot. Like I, it's there, it, check There's out that some, book. Book is great. Yeah, it's phenomenal. They go yeah. so, they're amazing. They go really deep in it. And uh, I looked on the copyright office. I found a five page treatment registered and I, I reached out to that guy. He he just ended up getting a, a meeting with a cod and pitched him an idea and sent him a treatment that took place like right after Halloween two. And, but a cod didn't like it. Um, and that that was pretty much it. Um, this franchise if, is so interesting to me in the sense that it sounds like, except for the first movie and the new ones, I guess you could say, even though I think 2018 had a bunch of reshoots, there's like not been one smooth production since the original <laughs> movie. There's uh, well, no yeah, Halloween part- two, Carpenter wrote Hammered. Halloween 3 had like no support. Four had a million scripts. Five had a million scripts. Then you get the Dimension era. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. You can like go down a rabbit hole just talking about that. I had a <laughs> oh, friend that's insane. Me that the Taking Shape 2 book is the most interesting aspect of the Halloween series, except for the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, part five, I was reading the Fangoria coverage of it, and the director was upset because out of nowhere, they threw that he had to do that ending out of nowhere. He's like, oh, you have to make this ending where all these cops get shot up in a police station. And um, I he think was that's like, why he added that person in black walking around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so that was, been, why the hell is that going to happen? <laughs> exactly. And yeah, Nate, imagine like you're just directing this film and they throw that at you like, hey, we're going to do this. Although he, he did like, write it as well. The, uh, he did write it. Um, 
the Halloween series, man. It's like a choose your own adventure game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is. Cause I was confused. Cause I was like, so H2O continues from Halloween two and then resurrection is the sequel to H2. I, I just realized that the other day when I was trying to, well, if you look on, stuff. if you look on the franchise Wikipedia page, they have like several different sections showing the different, like, you know, chronological, chronological, uh, progression and like what characters are even in what you know continuity a continuity b continuity c there's like because there's like one two four five six and then there's one two h2o resurrection (laughs) then there's the two remakes and then now there's one and then halloween 2018 and (laughs) And then there's halloween three which stands on its own it's pretty yeah although there, there there is a throwaway reference in this Halloween for script where we see some kids running by singing the silver shamrock yes. song. Cool. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I like that that would have established that that all takes place in the same universe. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, I really feel like for Halloween one and two H2O 2018, that's my Laurie Strode trilogy. I'm good with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I like four a lot. I, I think Danielle Harris's performance is really good. Um, and four's really got an autumnal feel. A lot of the other ones miss. Yes. But but I got to say one and two H2O in 2018. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked at how fast four really moves along when I was rewatching it the other night. It really does like just yeah. cruise. It's not a boring movie for me. No, and four well, was a weird. big hit. And then five wasn't. Yeah. And that, you know, they're kind of back at the drawing board again. Mm-hmm. Well, weird, weird fun fact is the editor on four is Curtis Clayton, who at the time was right at the beginning of becoming Gus Van Sant's regular editor oh, from no. yeah. Drugstore Cowboy all the way through Psycho. And um, he's gone on to do um, his other big film after that was The Assassination of Jesse James oh, wow. by the coward Robert Ford. And um, and so I've always thought that one reason Halloween four really just bangs along <laughs> is they just had an editor who was like, OK, just yeah. the, just the highlights. I got it. I'm here to do a job. I'll do the job. <laughs> yeah, the, the director of that would go on to do Phantom of the Opera with Robert England. And then he did like one of the craziest Seagal movies marked for death. Um, with oh, the- no, is that the one? Is that the yeah. one with the blood bank one liner? No, that's hard to kill. He was supposed to direct oh. hard to kill, actually, and he didn't get it. And then luckily he turned down Halloween five and got marked for death. The next Seagal movie, you know, Do you the know, f- Dwight Little was attached to Halloween Resurrection at one point. No, really? Yeah. He was like the first director they got and then something happened. And then they ended up hiring a guy that directed for ER and then something happened. And then they ended up getting Rick Rosenthal. Oh, Rick, yeah. well, you know, hold on. He he became kind of a bigger director, though, right? In the let me see. I mean, back when it was called Halloween Homecoming before it was called Halloween Resurrection. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and I know. And they, they were calling it H2O and everyone thought it was going to take place underwater. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been amazing. Oh, man. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. So he did like Murder at 1600 with oh, Wesley right. Snipes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, he was doing some big movies. Uh you know, Brandon Lee. Did he do one of the fire. anacondas? Let me see. He might have. Yes, he did. The, the hunt for the blood orchid. I saw okay, the theaters. Yeah. yeah. So he did that. <laughs> I don't remember that. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I want to rewatch uh, that. But yeah, so he kind of became, you know, he, he did some much bigger movies. I have a question for the group. Mm-hmm. 
what series has a more crazy bout of continuity? Is it Halloween or Texas Chainsaw? Because like, think about Texas Chainsaw. None <laughs> I mean, of those gets... whatsoever. Yeah, that... <laughs> that's literally reboot after reboot after reboot after reboot after reboot. Yeah, so I think that one's but... that's even more disconnected. Yeah, the only one I would say that is more disconnected is Hellraiser, which is up to <laughs> how many sequels by this point? Ten, eight, nine. 10 10 I 10 think. yeah yeah that's insanity maybe children of corn as well right well because hellraiser also sort of had the classic thing where at some point they stopped even writing hellraiser movies <laughs> bob weinstein would just take one of the other scripts they had and they would just add like the pinhead. cube and one or two pinhead scenes yeah i know somebody that worked on one of those and that's like was oh, really job was to do was to come in um and like add pinhead to the script. <laughs> oh, that is too funny. And they, had like, that actually sounds- they had like two days to do it, I think, or something. Yeah. Sounds kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame too, because part four was on its way to being something really interesting and they just screwed it up because the script they they greenlit, they didn't understand and then they ruined it during after they watched it, you know, because yeah. it was supposed to be an anthology. And um, and Pinhead wasn't supposed to be in it until 40 minutes into the movie. And that's what they greenlit. And then when they're watching it, they're like, where's Pinhead? <laughs> What's going on? Now you have to redo this whole movie. Yeah. And then and they kind of screwed the director, Kevin Yeager, because he was a special supposed to do Sleepy Hollow. And because he took the Alan Smithy, it just messed things up. And then Joe well, Chappelle came in and reshot it. Timelines. Did you yeah, realize that like Dimension Films really got lucky with Scream and like just didn't have time to fuck with it because like <laughs> yeah. made a mm-hmm. shitty bunch of shitty movies because they would well, mess with everybody's stuff. Well, it's always interesting to me how much if you rewatch Scream Three, which I did recently, me too. It's a Harvey Weinstein movie. I mean, it is literally a movie about Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. And you wonder how intentional that was because there was so much. Lot. Yeah. Intentional. Well, then you watch Scream 2 and you're like, thank God they only had 11 months to like turn around in an entire movie. <laughs> because if they had any more time, Bob and Harvey probably would have ruined that movie. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have time to ruin it, you know? Well, and they did <laughs> ruin Cursed, right? Yeah, and Craven. Cursed and Dracula and the Crow City of Angels. The Crow movies, you know, they they they're responsible for the like kind of Scream 4 being a little bit weird because you can tell that at some point Kevin left that project and they had to bring in somebody else to finish. And you could tell the actors, you could tell midway through that movie that Ned Campbell was like, Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> Third movie in a row that I'm doing for these guys and they fuck with us. Like, come on, you're killing your cash cow. Like, well, you know, I love, I love though. I mean, I give so many props to Wes Craven, who I feel like is a little bit unsung just because he's not a visual stylist. You know, he's not a Cronenberg or uh, um, Romero or someone, but he's, you read the accounts of making Scream and you're like, his ability to navigate the Weinsteins was incredible. I mean, when they're trying to shut down production, he's like, come up. I'll show you the first 40 minutes. He doesn't freak out. He just does yeah. an assembly or a rough cut of the first 40 minutes. And after, and he's like, if you like it, leave me alone. And if you don't, we'll do it your way. And they left mm-hmm. him alone, you but know, also, and like, fuck yeah. you for challenging Wes Craven. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but like they wanted to change the mask and he was like, nah, we'll keep shooting with this one. We're, we're good. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And like, I just, I admire, like, I mean, that's, I think a thing that you never see on screen, but I think some directors just, they're able to navigate the executives in such a 
confident way, you know? Yeah. It, it is pretty much a miracle that of the four Scream movies he made, three of them are really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Considering what he went through with those people to get those movies, like, you know, two, three, and four had release dates before they were even on set, you know, like yeah. all three of those movies didn't have finished scripts before they were on set. And like, you know, I remember Kevin telling me they were like literally fast and furious rewriting Scream 2 during filming because the script leaked, you know? Oh, right, right. You know? So like, I don't know, like it's almost like those movies are successful in spite of the wine scenes. <laughs> Which <Yeah>. is nice, <laughs> actually. One thing Wes Craven can't do is I rewatched Nightmare on Elm Street 7, New Nightmare recently, which is so good. I had forgotten good how movie. good it was. Just Wes Craven cannot portray Wes Craven convincingly <laughs> on screen. <laughs> well, he's not a he's not a creepy man. That's the first thing yeah. he's up wrong. He's like he was like the nicest man alive, and then mm-hmm. he was yeah. playing this like creep leeching off his actors and writing about the kids <laughs> and stuff. You don't buy it. He should have no, cast, exactly. He should have cast Cronenberg to play him. Totally. <laughs> uh, that would have been amazing. So funny. Yeah. Um, well, thank you guys so much. Yeah. This was a great conversation. Michael, we already talked a little bit about what you have coming up, but Grady, can you give us any hints of what yeah, lies got in the a, future? Yeah, I've got a book coming out on December 7th called These Fists Break Bricks, which is like paperbacks from hell for kung fu movies. Oh my God, it's I love the history of Kung fu mm-hmm. movies coming to America. And um, I'm very excited uh, about that one. My co-author and I went down some, man, we've got everything from the CIA secretly funding karate movies to root out communists to the New York Times sparking a uh, racial incident in the 60s, telling the uh, New Yorkers that there was a black gang out to use karate to kill all white people. Um, (laughs) I would have watched that movie very happily. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to an 11 year old boy who made a global blockbuster Bruce Lee exploitation movie. I mean, it's bonkers. Um, and it's full of art and stuff. Um, and then my next novel's coming out next year. And I just turned in the manuscript a couple of weeks ago. And it's about, uh, it takes place in 2020. And it's about brothers and sisters and evil puppets. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> you have a title? Uh, I do, but they won't let me say it to okay. anyone yet. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, and where can people find you guys on social media? Oh, just gradyhendrix.com. You can go from there to all my stupid Twitters and stuff. I don't even remember my... Oh, okay. I'm Michael Ken Ken on Twitter <laughs> and, Michael, and uh, Michael TJ Kennedy on Instagram. See lots of pictures of my dog on Instagram. Ooh, what kind of dog? Uh, she's a pit shepherd chihuahua mix. She's really cute. Scooby, come here. <laughs> oh, let me see. Let me see. I want to see anything with Chihuahua in it. I'm a fan. <laughs> I want to see you. Come here. Uh, Ooh, my best friend. Big. She's a big dog. Pounds. Well, and this is a good one, chance to say if you want to see what Michael Kennedy's yeah. dog looks like, yes. then you should download the Electric Now app. This is an app that allows you free access to a variety of movies and TV shows, and more importantly, video of our podcast and all the podcasts on the Electric Surge Network. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Best Movies Never Made and on Twitter at Never Made Film. I'd like to thank everyone here at our network, including Bill Ritter, our producers Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Stephen Scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies.
This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.